Angry towns boil over at banking elitists and the second battle of Brisbane rages over Australian sovereignty. Coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 17th of August 2023. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today, Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the hearings of the uh, inquiry, parliamentary inquiry into regional banking closures in it's Western Australia. The uh, explosive hearings. Which you've just attended. Yep. And then we're going to talk about the Second Battle of Brisbane, which refers to, well, we'll explain that later. Stay tuned. But we're going to be talking about the ALP National Conference, which started today. Big things coming out of that too. Uh, now... Don't forget, if you um, would help, like to help share the word, get the word around, there's a number of things that you can do, such as hitting the like button, making a comment below. Um, share this as widely as you can through social media and don't forget to subscribe and ring the notifications bell and we'll keep you posted of new shows and new content coming up. And you can also find the link below to donate to the cause and help all of our campaigns, all the travel that Robbie's been doing and so forth. Uh, just on that, Craig and I talked about this last week um, because going to Western Australia, um, we're on row 50, <laughs> so back at the back of the plane, um, so I'm not exactly travelling first class. However, um, these campaigns uh, are really taking off and so, um, you know, I hate to travel, but <laughs> you end up having to do it and uh, travelled more last year than ever have and so the travel bill... Uh, for things like hire cars and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> Craig was giving us an accounting this morning, has really exploded, right? So, um, and I'm going to tell you a bit more in a minute because mm. there's a lot more coming um, in terms of the way these things are snowballing. So anyway, all, any help from you that we can get is greatly appreciated mm. yeah. because this is actually going somewhere, what we're talking about. Yeah, and all those are markers and good signs of the traction that we're actually getting through our campaigns. For the sake of the audience, uh, would I travel unless I absolutely had to? No. That's right. <laughs> if you can get out of it, you will. And many other things. I, I won't it. go through the list. <laughs> okay, on to our first topic. Angry towns boil over at banking elitists. So the regional... Banking closure inquiry um, has, you know, made some really important um, yards from sale through the he hearings in um, uh, Queensland towns such as Ingham and I forget the other one, um, Cloncurry. Cloncurry, and they've now been in Western Australia uh, with hearings that took place in both Carnamar and Beverley, so north of Perth and east of Perth. Everyone's saying, "Where's Carnamar?" Look it up. Yeah, so that's, what, a couple of hours north of Perth? Three hours north, yeah. Okay. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it's not like... WA is not like, say, Queensland. It's three hours north of Perth. It's a very sparsely populated state, actually. It's mm. three hours north of Perth. You're in the regions you just are, going an hour are. or so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you told the story, um, just reflecting on these hearings, about how the inquiry came about and... Um, the Shire CEO from Carnamar had a bit to do with that um, yep. December last year, if you want to recount that. Well, 
This is a big process, what this inquiry has started. It's, it's actually a sleeper issue. In other words, it was an issue that was always there, just not being talked about very much, except by a few voices. But by getting the inquiry up, it's exploded. Once people got to have their say, they, they don't say it, they yell it. Right? This, is, this, is a, 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 um, this has been severely disruptive for the regional economies of Australia and for a lot more than that. And, of course, it's related to other bigger issues like the war on cash and whatever. But the, what's instructive about the Karnama is Rob Paul, who's the CEO there, um, he decided to take up the fight for his town. And it happened, he, he triggered the first proper press coverage of this bank closures issue and it was December 19 last year on ABC 7.30. But the way that came about is so quirky. But, like, and I love this story because the consequence of that, that, that ABC 7.30 story um, set in train a whole mm. heap of press coverage. They just snowballed and snowballed. And once the politicians saw the media coverage, apart from the ones who were championing this from the beginning, like Jared Rennick, who got the inquiry up ultimately, but to get the support from the rest of them, it's the media coverage that convinced them. Because that's what they're like. They're like moths to a flame, right? If there's media coverage, it's an issue. Um, so he triggered that. How did he trigger it? He's, he's at home one night uh, with his wife watching ABC 7.30 and they're talking about some story and he's getting angry because there's some story that Rob considered silly. And he said, he said angrily to his wife, why are they covering this? Carnama losing its Westpac bank is a more important story than this. And his wife said, well, why don't you tell him that? So he did. He, he emailed off a furious email to ABC 7.30 that night, went to bed and forgot about it. The next day, he gets a reply. And it's ABC. We'd like to do a story on your town. And it was like, oh, oh, really? You're taking this seriously? Oh, okay. And so that's... And if you go back and look at that story, and in fact, Mr. Producer, <laughs> let's insert some clips from that and the reason I'm, we haven't planned this with the producer, but we can insert some clips from that story because the people in these clips are the people who are at the mm. hearing I attended, right? So you, you'll get to see some of them. Um, but we were over here in the East fighting, and, and uh, I and uh, Dale Webster and Martin North were working with the CEOs of Cooper Pedy Council and Junee Council in New South Wales, um, fighting really hard. And the James Davis at Junee was doing a brilliant job um, to try and save their Commonwealth mm. Bank. And we heard about this media coverage. I think Dale Webster found out about it. So we are able to connect Carnama to Junee. Junee also featured in the story. And like I said, that set the whole thing in train. And now because we have this inquiry, it's kicking goals. You know, we know we've, we've, Westpac's had to back down on eight branches um, CBA put on a moratorium on, on all regional branches for the next three years. Um, and that, none of that would have happened without this inquiry. The inquiry mm. wouldn't have happened without the media coverage. The media coverage wouldn't have happened mm. without Rob Paul. And it's getting results. It's really great to see some of these Shire councillors and so forth. Um, you know, they're sort of people that would be loath to really get involved in federal politics a lot yeah. of the time and you know who isn't really because you don't think you can really get anywhere, make any inroads. However, some of these councils are now saying to us, boy, we should have taken up this fight years well, ago. It, it, and 
Rob Paul said that. Mm. He, he, as a CEO, he gets to go around and, and represent different, run, organise different councils. Banks have been closing for years. His view was most of the time the councils decide, well, that's not our business. Yeah. But now the survival of the town is at stake. It should have been, he said it should have been our business all mm. along. And he sees by actually taking the leadership up on behalf of the town, advocating for the town, um, they can make an impact, mm. right? And so all this is coming together at once. Yeah, now talking about the survival of the town, we want to get into some of the nitty-gritty and I want you to give some of the stories and anecdotes that came from the peoples of these towns that were very confronting and had a big impact on the senators uh, and one of the things that, of course, we've impressed to um, the people involved in this process, to the parliamentarians, is that by taking this up, they have the power. This is the parliament of yeah. Australia. It's vested with power and they are more powerful than the banks if they decide to exercise that power. And this is something the people are getting a sense of and they're not about to put down their pitchforks until they get somewhere. That's right. The evil of neoliberalism that we rail against when it came and took over Australia was this idea that somehow the private sector um, uh, was separate from the government mm. and especially the big corporations, government shouldn't tell them what to do, right? Now, everyone's sick of government, but you've got to separate your experience of ridiculous government decisions mm. from the principle of what the government's supposed to do. We're trying to fight for what the government's supposed to be. And what they did, they weren't, the, the big corporations never worried about the, the ridiculous bureaucracy that might have stuffed around local people or whatever. They just do not want any government authority over them that would actually make them behave as good citizens with their economic power, right? And the, mm -hmm. big, the big ones were the banks. Um, so the parliament has been brainwashed for a couple of generations in thinking we have no right to tell them what to do. Right? And so when politicians, when, when the public go and complain to politicians, the politicians, what they get from the politicians, you know, most of the time is, oh, it's not our responsibility. Mm. This is a, you're in the free market, mate, mm. blah, blah, blah. You're on your own. Yet the parliament is the most powerful entity in the country. It makes the laws. It is it. Right? So if you can brainwash the people in parliament to, feel, to, to, to think it's not their responsibility, you've made parliament powerless. That's what we're trying to change with this. Mm. Right? No. The parliament represents the people and must be the ultimate authority. And it's, and it's getting the politicians by seeing what the people are going through to act mm. and use the power they have, we can bring these banks to heel. So let's go through some of the um, examples that came out of Karnama first. Um, so, so this town is in quite a bind. So what's the situation with their, what's their banking situation right now, first of all? None. So no they lost. They had it. The Westpac was their last bank, and they lost it in February. And now the only place you can do any form of banking at town is at the post office, Australia Post, right? The the, the licensed post office. But of course, that's bank at post, which is very restricted. Yes. Um, and therefore, mm. when you want to do anything else, it's a two hundred and thirty kilometre round trip to do most normal banking. And can I say, just like there's a lot of impact. Most people wouldn't appreciate this. Real impractical stuff, like even though you can go to a post office and confirm your ID for your passport, mm. the most important ID you'll ever have to travel the world with, the banks don't let the post office confirm your ID for your credit card. Mm. So it's a simple thing to do. Mm. But so 
A lot of people have to do that to activate their cards, etc., or update signatures on accounts. The banks won't let that happen. And a lot of country towns, there's a lot of volunteerism in country towns to look after the football club and, and uh, all the other sort of service things they do, right? And volunteers require formal bodies, little budgets. People have to sign, have to, have to be signatories to accounts. None of that can be done at the post office. They've all got to take these trips um, a long way away to do it. Mm. Now, this came, uh, I believe this came out from the testimony uh, of the postmistress, the local postmistress yep. there. And um, while we're on that topic, she revealed something else rather interesting at the hearing. So we're advocating a postal bank, right? We're saying the post office should be the agency of a proper bank. Um, and the only thing that we say would not be done at the post office is you could do everything except have your loans approved. You could apply for the loan, but the man, the post person in your town would not be the manager who approves your loan. And that's good for two reasons, um, because it's a big responsibility to, to assess loans and whatever, and you don't want to add too much burden to the post people, the people running, the loaners of the post office. But also, you know, sometimes the bank manager has to say no, mm. right? And that's that's bad for the... You want the post office to be the most popular person in town, the postmistress or postmaster. Um, so that would be done by the bank itself having a regional office or somewhere, right? And they would... That's where the loans would be approved. That's what we're advocating. And we're getting some, we're getting a lot of support, but we're getting some, you know, certain pockets of pushback saying, oh, no, you know, no, no, you can't turn post offices into bank. It's too, too big a deal. Well, the Carnima Post Office for many years was known as a super agency for Bankwest. Mm. And what, the, what Colleen there, the, the postmistress, revealed is as a super agency, she did everything that the bank could do, everything except approve loans. Mm. She didn't do the manager's job. She did everything else. All full banking services operated through that post office in Carnama. Mm. And if that can happen there, and that bank before Bankwest closed that model, it wasn't the post office that did it, it was Bankwest. If that can happen there, it can happen anywhere. Mm. Now, there were also witnesses such as a 94-year-old man, George Fowler, I, sat, I, I sat believe. I sat next to George for the, for the whole day for the hearing. Um, and George is the guy, you just saw him on the clip, um, from ABC 7.30, right? So George fronted up to have his say. He said, I'm the oldest bugger in town. Um, <laughs> and you can imagine that as a 94-year-old. And yet he has had to, the bank closed in February. He has had to twice go to the next, the 230 kilometres the next town. It's a two-day trip by bus because you catch the bus, you get there within a couple of hours, but it's two days before the bus mm. comes back, right? And people like George who don't drive, and the other elderly people, that's what they have to do. And for some of them, a bus trip is even too much well, right? yeah. to, actually, to actually do that stuff. Yeah, 94. Um, now, the, the interesting thing, too, about some of these towns and regions, and um, there were reports coming out during the Karnama hearing about other banks um, that have either closed or cut down their hours in surrounding towns, Northampton, Kelbarry. There was even an article that came out about Tennant Creek a bit further away, yep. of course, having um, lost their bank. Um, but these are areas in the middle of economic boom time that are the centre of bringing in the mo most of our country's revenues, and yep. yet these local towns are dying. Now, what I noticed about... Western Australia, and, and I'd never been north of Perth before. Everything was green, really green. And this is where we've gone through an unusual patch, in a sense, in our weather, right, in the last couple of years. Um, 
and maybe it's drying off a bit now, right? But WA, is, in terms of wheat, has had the two biggest bumper crops in its history in the last two years. And there's all this agriculture around Carnima as well. Um, uh, you know, it's, all, it's on the edge of the wheat belt, I suppose you'd say. Um, plus you have all this mining, right? Enormous, the, the money, the value there in these places is enormous. But none of it's reflected in the towns. The towns are withering and dying because nothing is being invested back into them. Now, there's a, there's, I heard one little exception, which is now the town of Carafa is starting to actually switch away from the model of fly in, fly out to actually have a proper town mm. because the local council eventually just got sick of it and said to Woodside, you're going to actually be responsible for the town. And so now Woodside Petroleum has this thing where they pay the interest rates, the interest payments on their workers' debts if they move to the town. Right, and it's, it's, Caratha is booming as a result. Whereas up the road at Port Hedland, which is probably has more wealth go through Port Hedland than any other town in the world, mm. right? It's a, the, 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 the iron ore wealth going through there. There's no investment, and it's a crap heap, right? In this particular case, you get smaller versions of that in towns like Carnima, and they're withering and dying slowly. And one of the things that shocked me uh, in the clip, the guy, one of the guys in the pub there, is the local accountant. And he was he t- he took me outside afterwards and was showing me some of the sites of the town. His name's Dwayne, and <coughs> Dwayne doesn't see his wife and kids mm. because they live in Perth, so the kids can go to school. Because you can't go to high school in Carnima and anywhere in that district. Every when you get to grade eight, you have to go to either boarding school or in his or in his case, what some families do is buy a house in Perth and the partner moves down there. Right? That's not good for family life, mm. but there's just nothing there, and so. I was actually reduced to tears by the final witness of the day. A local woman is actually Canadian originally, um, and when I, uh, Barb Smallwood's her name, and when I spoke to her afterwards, she'd recently taken a holiday to Canada, and she noticed that all the small towns in Canada still have their banks. Hmm. And so the question is, why do, what, 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 what do the bank managers in Canada think about this compared to the bank managers in Australia, right? Because very similar, there's a lot of similarities between Australia and Canada. Um, but anyway... She gave this testimony, and I wish I could play it, and I'll, we'll play it in future episodes. Um, so those were just a few comments, and now I just want to sort of perhaps provide a slightly different perspective on what bank closures or how a community can... Um, just a bit of a story, I suppose. A bank invests in Kahnema, as it is identified it is, as a centre of a substantial grain-growing region that has no bank. The plan is to have two tellers, a branch manager and a business account manager. After a successful two years, they open a new building on the main street in a style that is reflective of the rich heritage of our region. They have more call centre staff move in who are looking for a country change and want to get away from the urban sprawl that all the centralisation of services has caused. The branch manager's husband is a design and technology teacher and is delighted to see that there are excellent facilities at the school that need to be returned to use. He becomes a vital member of the school staff and his children are welcomed as new students at the school. The business manager's wife (coughs) is a music um, teacher for both primary and secondary and she is able to get half time at school which suits them well as they have a young family and there's childcare that's available. She starts a small school choir and introduces new instruments to the students. 
The revitalization of the school staff and programs sees a resurgence of the local and district support. All families, including farm families, are keeping their children here through high school years, and numbers steadily build. The school buses are full, the school canteen reopens, they can open a new account in the bank that's on the main street. <clears throat> the local tradesmen have taken on more apprentices with all the extra work and the availability of young people in our town and community, and the community continues to grow. The young adults start a small local band with the support of the music teacher. The local pub has them in there for a gig each month, which helps their bottom line. The steady reinvestment in the town means that there are now more shops, businesses, perhaps manufacturing, tradespeople, painters, builders, panel t uh, beaters, to name a few. The local doctor visits more frequently and has actually relocated to the region rather than traveling up from Perth. Additional health services are becoming available due to the need from the growing community. The Shire builds more units for aged care. The community sporting club the community and sporting clubs thrive and plans have started to refurbish the rec centre to meet the demand. The local footy team has an abundance of local players and they win the North Midlands Football League Premiership flag. Speeches are full of thanks and all the local businesses that supported the club during the season. A special mention is made to the bank that identified Karnama as a good place to invest in. As the local band plays, they celebrate late into the night. That is why the availability of services and reinvestment in rural communities across Australia is important. And it was very, very moving because it reminded yeah. me of, um, on the way over, we watched this movie, this film, The Bank of Dave. And if you haven't watched it, you've got to watch it. Um, the Bank of Dave is about a man in the UK, in the north of the UK, Burnley, who is quite a successful businessman. He ends up lending money, a lot of money to locals, and they always pay him back. And they say, why don't you start a bank? And it's about him trying to start a community bank, the, the purpose of which is to lend to people in the local area because there's a need and the proper the big banking system doesn't want to. Mm. And it's a big fight to do it, etc. And um, it, uh, Dave, it actually they actually ended up uh, winning the fight but it shows you the different intention between what people want banking to be mm. and what the banking elite want banking to be. And it shows that the profitability of banking in the local community. Because that, as you said, there were no defaults. That's what he found because people had good ideas of things to do to contribute to the town and they were intent on paying it back, particularly because it was mm. a local who lent it to them. And the people who ran the banking system in the UK, they're just predators who don't want to, they want to speculate with money, they don't mm. want to do that. Well, right? he donated everything to local charities because apart from paying himself and the others a wage, they didn't yep. need all those profits. So it gets ploughed back into the community yep. anyway. So, yeah, that was a reflection in this local community, interestingly. So I've, I've been telling people ever since we watched it, when we talk about a postal bank, <coughs> if you've seen the movie Banker Dave, essentially we want a, 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 a the post every post office to be a bank of day. Mm, mm. Um, but all, all at once, once, all over the country. All over the country. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, now you, before we get to Beverly, you were also interviewed uh, by 6PR the night before the hearing, I think, uh, or the yep. day of. Yep, 6PR, Ollie Peterson, um, which is the biggest commercial radio station in Perth. I think it's the fifth time I've been on, on mm. with Ollie now. Ollie's really invested in the campaign. Mm, um, right. 
I even offered him a better person to interview, but he wanted to interview me because we've we, we sort of become um, uh, radio buddies on this. Um, uh, and like the, the media is interested. Channel 7 mm. was there and interviewed me and the senators that were present, um, uh, including Matt Canavan and, and Jared Rennick. The local ABC was there. Um, like it, and then that's, that's a, that reflects the interest. But it's also again very important for the for the um, politicians. Yeah, and <coughs> local papers were obviously reporting on it as well. And I mean, because the local council had um, publicised the hearings and in their oh, and newsletter. Let me, at least let me say this: when I was, I just literally arrived in town. Um, I went up there with our friend Andrew Fox. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Foxy, for the for the ride. Yeah. And and I said to Foxy, "I've got to get there by five o'clock because they." 6PR wanted to do the interview, but you've got to be oh. got to have phone reception, and between the towns there is none, right? Um, so I said, you've got to get me there by 5 o'clock, and we got lost. <laughs> we went to this place called New, New Norcia. The locals will know what I'm talking about. There's some monastery there, right? Yeah. Anyway, we got we got a mud map. I was giving up on Google. Someone wrote us a mud map. But Foxy delivered, got me there just in time. We parked in front of this old building and it was a beautiful old bank building. It was the old R&I Bank, Rurals and Industries Bank. Mm. And this was an institution in Western Australia for many years. It was a public bank that was there to help all the the, the rural industries, right? And and it did a very good job. It later became Bank West as a public bank before it got privatised. And so I was able to say to Ollie, the solution is right here. Here's the history of it. And we'll put some of the... I took some photos in the window because it's now a gallery. I took some photos in the window. Yeah, we can put and them up. you can up. see WA's own bank. Yeah. Right? Once upon a time, we had these public banks. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Exactly. What we're saying is we've gone down a, we've gone down the wrong road, like, my, like getting lost on the way there. We've gone <laughs> down the wrong road. Recognise when you're lost. Turn around and go back to where the road um, should have been taking us. Now to more of the sparks that started yes. flying at Beverly because the banks were on the stand. Well, Bank West was on the stand at yep. Beverly and um, the senators gave them the rounds of the kitchen, I hear. They did. Look, and Beverly, everything else about Beverly was very similar to Carnima, but, and, and all the time I've been going to WA, I've never been to Beverly before either. Um, the salt of the earth, these people, and they come and they have their say, but the, what was different about Beverly was they had a bank there. There was no bank at, um, at the Carnima hearing. And this was Bank West. And I tell you what, I love, I love the senators on this committee because when a bank is in front of them, mm. they straighten up and they roll up their sleeves and they go for them, right? <laughs> in, a, in a sort of a semi-polite way, but they, let, they give them enough rope to hang themselves. And as they're hanging themselves, these senators are escalating. Mm. And so yesterday, Jared Rennick, um, Senator Jared Rennick, who is a bank accountant, he was a bank accountant, right? He, um, a, a top accountant at the Bank of Queensland. He knows banking. And you've got these couple of executives who Australia had a central casting of for bankers and they're taught, it, for some reason, like they, they're given a special coat of, um, uh, you know, Teflon or something, <laughs> right? And they're taught how to be total a-holes um, without going red in the face, something like that. Mm. So the ones at Westpac and Sale weren't mm. very good at not going red in the face. But so these guys... The first, the first question was, Bank West is 100% owned by Commonwealth Bank. So when Commonwealth Bank preemptively responded to this inquiry, because Commonwealth Bank hasn't appeared yet, when they preemptively responded to this inquiry by putting a moratorium on all regional branch closures for the next three years, 
why didn't that apply to Bank West branches in Western Australia? There's 20 Commonwealth Bank regional branches in Western Australia. There's 37 Bank West branches. Mm. But the Bank West branches are not covered by the moratorium. And these guys sat there and said, well, we do have plans to, co- to close um, branches. And so it's like, all right. And it's, well, it's not even apologetic from them. It's not even like, oh, we feel we're forced into this, et cetera. No, no, you know, we've got a strategy. They're open. We've got a digital strategy. Um, and um, so then the question of consultation came up. Mm. And I kid you not, when they were asked about consultation, the answer was very brazen. Well, our attitude, our view is there's no need to consult because we wouldn't change our minds anyway. Mm. That's what they said in, in, in this hearing. And then they're talking about Carnarvon, where the, the Bank West branch in Carnarvon um, has closed, right? And Carnarvon's a town of 5,000 people on the coast. So they're talking about the town of Carnarvon, and they said we had to close it because we couldn't get any staff. Hang on, this is a town of 5,000 people. You mm. can't get any staff, and it's from a town of 5,000 people? And, you know, how the question becomes, because I've used this excuse, in other, banks have used this excuse in other places, how hard have you tried? Mm. They use the excuse that apparently Westpac also used the excuse in Carnama, and the locals in Carnama say, we didn't see any advertising mm. for bank staff, right? And it's just, what, what's revealed is their, their, their extreme arrogance just going through the motions and they do not care a fig about the communities that they're abandoning. And then, but they claim they did. In their words, they said, oh, no, no, Jared Renick said, do you have a responsibility to the community? And they said, oh, yes, we have a responsibility to the community. We, we, we make sure that we support um, banking services in the community. How? Oh, they can use Banker Post. <laughs> anyway, so Matt Canavan asked this killer question. He goes, uh, and I wish I could play the audio of this, but anyway, you'll have to take my version of it. Matt said, well, why don't you suggest to us, do you have any suggestions for us about how we can actually solve this problem of maintaining banking services in the regions? And the answer was... Crickets, crickets, crickets. It's like, put the crickets in. (laughs) That's what it was. And then, um, uh, well, you know, it's like, no, we haven't thought about anything like that because we're just here going through the motions. You want us to engage with you. We don't want to engage with the town, let alone you. We've got no ideas for you. We're pulling out. Good luck, right? Yeah. Anyway, so when you get that, two things happen. The, the politicians, good on them, they escalated against that. And, and like I said, Jared Rennick gave them, did the, you know, they, they, he put them through the ringer. Um, and that was great. Matt Canavan um, escalated as well. But when they filed out, the little, the, 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 the woman from ABC who was there was a uh, sort of shortish young lady, um, sort of diminutive. Our friend Foxy followed him out as well because he's a Bank West customer and Foxy's got a very big commanding presence, a big booming voice. Um, and he said, hey, I want to talk to you about my account because you've, you've, you, I've just been told, even though you know, all this money goes through my account to pay my workers, etc., without any warning, I was, I was told I'm now a Commonwealth Bank customer, not a Bank West customer. And that's a big feature in WA. That's a policy they've done, just abandoning all their business customers. Um, but the young lady from ABC wanted an interview. And they didn't want to give her one. Foxy said, give her a, give, you should give her an interview. But, of course, they're minions. Mm. Someone upstairs at Bank West in Perth has to give them permission to do an interview. You can't just have a, a normal conversation with anybody, <laughs> right? And then I talked to the ABC 
girl just after this, and she said, she pointed out to me, she said their hands were shaking <laughs> as yes. they came out of this, as they came out of this hearing. Beautiful. Um, that's exactly the dynamic that's important. Mm-hmm. And all, then, then, what I, the, the big, the biggest for me, the biggest mm-hmm. event, the biggest impression of the day, was when the audience came out from that part of the hearing. Mm. That's this boiling over. There was yeah. seething anger. The townspeople got to hear the bankers for the first time and they were furious because they just heard lies, misrepresentations, absolute arrogance, and they realised that this, this bank, these banks that are big banks because these towns have supported them for decades and the people in these towns have supported them for decades, the people running the banks now do not give a stuff mm. about them. Mm-hmm. And they send these arrogant suits down to these towns to say that. And, mate, that boiling anger is what's going to drive our campaign to success. And those people, that audience, got a whiff of the alternative because I believe the postmaster from Beverly actually spent half of his speech talking about a public postal postal bank. Yep, he cut cut to the chase, right? There's a solution. He knows he can can do it. Uh, You know, there's, there's... one of the concerns expressed could could post offices handle the extra security if they're going to be, you know, handle the extra cash. Post offices have said to me, "Listen, we had more cash years ago. No one cared about us then. Now that we're talking about becoming a bank, suddenly all these obstacles are being put up." But his name's John Freegan, and he just said, "Yep, here's the solution: post offices become the bank, right?" And um, very very important testimony for the mm. occasion. Because that's the case that we're going to be building and building and building. Because it, it's the only way you're actually going to get the banks to stop closing down. It, unless, they, unless they have competitive pressure, and, and John Freegan talked about that, they need the competition, they will only stop closing down if they fear they're going to lose their customers to the public bank. Yeah, now I want to add one of your other reflections on all this because this um, situation with regional areas and small towns was 100% foreseen by the former CEO of Australia Post who was driven out, Christine Holgate. And it's one of the reasons, well, one, that she fought to make the banks pay for their banking services through Bank at Post to actually, um, in a commensurate um, capacity, um, pay for the costs that those local post offices were incurring. And secondly, why she was all for some form of post office bank. Well, exactly. Now, there's a protest in Mm. um, Melbourne today at the Australia Post headquarters, which as soon as we finish here, I'm going to go in for it, because Australia Post is closing post offices. Mm. And now the two issues, it's like the perfect storm, right? You've got the crisis of bank branches is going to meet the crisis of post offices closing because the banks are saying to their customers, you can bank at the post office. Well, now the post office may not be there. And um, Mm. we, we are now, as a political um, campaign, Elisa, joining the two issues. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. Because um, there is a solution. The Post Office Bank, the National Post Office People's Bank, is the solution. It will save Australia Post, yep. in- increase its revenue to, to not just not just provide banking services, but to make the, make the post be delivered on time, right? <laughs> They'll have enough money to do that as well, which, as you know, is an issue. It's an important thing. Um, and it will be the competition that these banks need. Now, Christine Holgate um, made a, contrib- a submission to the Australia Post review that was announced. In fact, the Australia Post review was announced the same day as the sale hearing uh, on bank branch closures uh, back in March. And 
Christine Holgate made a submission. Her submission has now been pub made, is public on the website. She made a 120-page submission, detailed analysis, financial um, analysis, market analysis, wow. and she made the point in there that Australia Post should not compare itself to the five worst post offices in the world and say we're better than them. They should compare themselves to the five best post offices in the world and say why can't we be like them? And the five best provide financial services. Mm -hmm. That's the point that she makes in her submission. But she's not the CEO of Australia Post anymore. She's the CEO of Team Global Express. She was at the soccer last night because they're sponsoring it, right? She was at the Matildas match. Barracking for the Poms, actually, but we won't hold that against Christine <laughs> is English. Um, uh, she's, she, why is she doing this? Because she has more care about Australia Post than the current management. The current Australia Post management submission to this review was 19 pages, mm. mostly pictures. The former CEO put in this detailed analysis of how to save it. The current management put in this ridiculous submission justifying closing down services, right? You see why they got rid of her. Well, exactly. I was about to say that. Yep. That's exactly why they got rid of her, because she would have turned this around and our campaign to actually have a public bank for Australia yep. to develop and build Australia and have thriving local communities would be well advanced. Yep. So exactly. she had to go. Um, and just to remind people, because we showed on last week's show, I believe, the footage from... Brisbane uh, Rivera. Yes, and I also wanted to mention, well, he, he was the... Um, fellow who tried to deposit, well, he did deposit money in an ATM and then West his Pope. account was blocked. And there is a petition which you can sign. So make sure you add, because there is a time limit on that, add you, your name to his parliamentary petition. No, definitely petition. do. If, the link's below. If you haven't done it, sign that parliamentary, mm. parliamentary petition. A parliamentary petition is a little bit complicated. You sign it online and then you get an email to verify your signature. And you've got to do the whole all the steps. Um, but his petition, apart from it, because it's called... Um, uh, the parliamentary petition on Australians' right to banking services, but it does insist in its nine points that the government must guarantee Australians a banking institution of last resort, yes. which is the public bank. But I also wanted to mention the fact that you, with the post office situation, the anger is really boiling on that as well because we did have a couple of hundred people just up the road here at the local Glenroy Post Office, we which played is the being video. shut down. We played the video of that last week, yeah. that protest. And, and that's why what's happening today Well, it's moved that, yeah, these people have moved on already to have this big event in Melbourne at the Australia Post headquarters. So it's actually got a lot of impetus behind it, which is good to see. So any anyone, if you've heard of your local post office closing down or a local bank, contact your Member of Parliament, contact other people. The community are going to be right behind you. Very important. Very important. Make, express your complaint to your local member of parliament. If it's a bank branch closing or a post office closing, call them up, email them and say, what are you doing about this? You should support the postal bank. Mm, yeah. <coughs> now, moving on to our next topic. The second battle of Brisbane rages over Australian sovereignty. Now, we want to talk about the ALP National Conference taking place as of today in Brisbane. But tell, explain what the headline means first. <laughs> well, the first battle of Brisbane, uh, Elisa, ironically involved Australia and America then as well. Both battles of Brisbane <laughs> involved Australia way. and American. In the case of the first battle of Brisbane, we were allies, true allies, important allies, and should have been allies. But sometimes, um, uh, sometimes the, the, the local soldiers have difficulty getting on with each other. And I, I, I forget what triggered it. The legend that I've heard, there's probably different versions of it, but the legend that I've heard was 
Australian soldiers got pretty upset at the Yanks. Um, what they, there was a, some there was some um, uh, there was some expression about the Yanks. So I didn't even look it up. So it was something like they were overpaid, oversexed, and over here. Anyway, there was this, there was this resentment about the the American soldier mm. stealing all the local women. Mm. So someone might if, if you have a different version of it, fine. But it, it started off as a fist fight in one bar that just spilled over to the whole like Fortitude Valley and mm. half of Brisbane was having a, the, the Australians and Americans having a fist fight. And that's called the Battle of Brisbane. In any case, <laughs> the Labor Party's national conference is taking place in Brisbane. Um, and, of course, it's, it's a, a phenomenal battleground because, of course, since Paul Keating, you know, a legend in the Labor Party, spoke up against AUKUS and the Australian-American alliance, um, there's been... A huge fight brewing. You've had 40 local ALP branches that have demanded in their local chapters that either AUKUS either be dumped or reviewed. Um, the plan was for a number of conference motions to be put up at the national conference, uh, one from the Australian Manufacturers Workers Union, another from the New, a New South Wales State MP, which insists that um, Locking us into AUKUS increases the likelihood of our involvement in a disastrous US-led war in Asia. So they're getting right to the point of the fact that this is jeopardising the future of our nation. There's a movement, a grassroots network that has um, popped up too, Labor Against War. So they're running big uh, and important campaigns. It's a grass fire sweeping through the branches, actually, that Paul Keating ignited and We'll see what comes De- to a head. Defence Minister Richard Miles uh, even had to convene an online uh, meeting on Monday night to try to quell dissent. Um, but you've still had high-level people denouncing the whole effort to suppress it, such as Firefighters Union boss Peter Marshall. Um, apparently Keating um, was not invited. invited to the meeting. He certainly was not welcome and he won't be there, as some headlines declared this week. Uh, and Isn't that funny? Oh, sorry. Those yeah. of us who have... Always hated Keating until now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've got something in common with him. One of the things that's, that yeah, he was here's this guy that, we, that a lot of Australians hated so much. But of course, the Labor Party loved him. He was a legend, and he was a legend. It was more of a legend because of his style, right? No one could put down the opposition like Paul Keating. So he's a legend in the Labor Party. Um, he goes and does something truly potent, <laughs> truly yeah. potent, and suddenly, uh, let's cut this guy off. But I tell you what, it is a grass fire that's ripping, that's uh, raging through the branches. And if they think, I don't know who comes up with these decisions, but if the people running the Labor Party think that not inviting Keating to the conference in Brisbane is going to suppress this, they're idiots. Mm. They're going to fuel it ten times by doing that, right? It's just the beggars belief how they think. Yeah, so we don't have any reports yet, but they'll be flooding out shortly. Um, but we have a presence there. Yeah, we do have a presence there. We, we we're the up, Citizens Party. You'll see us. We'll um, put up some photos as well on the screen. That's right. You won't be able to miss us because we decided a few weeks ago we would turn up with the biggest portrait of Julian Assange that anyone will have. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, two by three or something, two metres by three metres or a little bit less. It's going to be huge. <clears throat> and it's just to rub it in Albanese's face. Yeah. You are, in, you are, such a subs, you are so subservient to the... United States government, you cannot get this guy released from prison. Mm. And, you know, what really rubs it in more is that um, we pulled together a whole series of... Well, we we uncovered the biggest critic of Anthony Albanese in the Labor Party. Mm. The the guy with the best arguments against Anthony Albanese 
and AUKUS and, and AUKUS. the Alliance. Exactly. Is Anthony Albanese. Yeah. <laughs> In 2003 and 2002, when Anthony Albanese made speeches against the Iraq war, what he said was bang, spot yeah. on. And Anthony Albanese in 2000, 2003, Anthony Albanese needs to go back to the future and talk to 2023 Albanese. What do you Absolutely. say? Absolutely. So I'll well, just pull out some highlights, but you can, um, you can find a link below to find that some of the uh, more in-depth uh, excerpts of the speeches. These are parliamentary speeches and statements from 2002 to 2003. So they followed, of course, 9-11 and yeah. the discussion about la- launching a war against Iraq. So he um, was polemicising against how military power won't get you security. Security can be achieved, he said, only by a victory of humane democratic values and Australia has nothing to benefit from war, from launching war. Um, he did, of course, condemn the evils of the Iraqi regime, but he said, does this justify Australia's support for the new US foreign policy doctrine of preemptive strikes, which would undermine the legitimacy and supremacy of international law? And he went on to describe how it was very clear that Prime Minister John Howard had already made the commitment to support the Bush administration without any debate in the House yep. without, you know, listening to the weight of popular opinion or anything. Um, nobody, he said, believes John Howard when he states that no final decision has been made. And furthermore, he discussed the fact that our military personnel and equipment were already in the Gulf and there was no chance that they wouldn't be co-opted into that war. Um, he then um, described how, he said, Australia, I believe we must continue to tell the United States that unilateralism can never be the basis of a satisfactory world model and that preemptive action should not involve the use of military power. And he basically said that the US is undermining its own supposed advancement of democratic institutions if it does not respect the right of elected members to state their views in the Parliament of Australia. Same could be said of the ALP conference taking place right (laughs) now. That's right. Um, He has become what he attacked. That's right. And he, he also, in another speech in 2003 now, um, uh, and this was actually the day the Iraq war invasion started, 20th of March 2003, he, he said, look, we all, we all know that the decision for us to be involved in this war was taken many months ago before the pre-deployment of troops mm. um, unilaterally with no discussion or debate. Uh, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, he talked about the subservience of our government to the US and the UK in um, bringing up a historical example about the testing of nuclear weapons at Maralinga. And he said this was a political decision by a government that was subservient to the British government. And today, with Iraq, there are parallels with the Australian government being once again subservient to the decisions of a foreign power. There you go. I like 2003 Albanese, mm. and I want him to come back. Um, let's go find him. <laughs> we, that, if that guy, if 2003 Albanese spoke to Joe Biden, um, I think Assange would be out tomorrow. Mm, yeah. And of course, the, what's, the irony is, is Albanese saying that before the Iraq war, and the guy who proved that his warnings were correct is Assange, who's now rotting in jail. And Albo says, please let him out. Like, he doesn't even say, please let him out. He says, um, my view is that enough's enough and this mm. should be brought to an end. And he's hoping that somehow that's heard 
as in the White House. Mm. It's not even a direct. It's not even a direct appeal. It's somehow that's heard in the White House. Yeah, that's why well, we're going to have the big Assange poster there. Yeah, and just on that um, Assange factor too. Uh, nine former attorneys general, federal, state, and territory have written to Albanese demanding he press for the release of Assange. Yeah. So that's another significant thing. And there's more of these things it's building it, by the day. It just shows you how isolated the the, the current government's cabinet is. It's like they're, kept, they're hostages to the military-industrial complex, the media, which controls it. Because everyone else in Australia wants proper action on this, wants proper sovereignty. Mm. And these guys are, are just captive to the power structure that keeps us subservient to this military war machine. Yeah, and just speaking of that perpetuation of that military war machine, we won't have time to go into a lot of detail, but I wanted to mention and point people to two articles in our Australian Alert Service publication this week, which if you haven't ever seen one, uh, contact (coughs) us, we'll send you a complimentary copy, or you can see the links below to subscribe. Uh, Melissa Harrison's followed on the article that you, I think, reported on in the show last week on um, Aspie's allegations of these uh, Chinese bots that are enhancing various campaigns. In this case, she's written about cyber interference in Western elections. Previously, we've talked about how Aspie wants our campaign against the banks to come under the purview of the misinformation and disinformation (laughs) bill, um, because apparently that's being uh, amplified as well by um, the Chinese Communist Party. And also of note, for anyone who hasn't already made their submission uh, into the um, exposure draft of the Misinformation and Disinformation Bill, those submissions are due this Sunday the 20th, so make sure you do that. Uh, But the other article I just wanted to point to as well is very important on a subject we've been um, reporting on regularly, uh, and that is by Tony Kevin, a former diplomat. Minerals are ripe for the plucking by the United States. And what Tony... so. A, a month or so ago, I was with Richard Barden on the show, and we were talking about how this deal between Albanese and Biden for Australia to be designated a domestic supplier mm. to the U.S. defence industry, um, the, 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 the concerns were this would give them power over our resources. Tony Kevin has found in their own words, in fact, this was two Americans wrote for, for Aspie, yeah. their publication, The Strategist, and they said, yeah, their ambit claims are they want any, any investment by the Americans into mines in Australia for this purpose will come with all these strings attached, including telling us who we can trade with, right? who can co-own these, these mines mm. and who we can trade with. Mm. And this is a big deal. And that is, so the warnings are true. That is exactly what they want. And you've got no confidence in the government, given how sycophantic they're being, that they're going to resist that. So anyway, we'll put the link below to Tony. This was published in Pearls and Irritations. We'll put the link and, below to that. And um, we'll have more to say that in coming weeks. Yeah. But that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Elisa. It's all happening. Uh, enjoy the, the way the campaigns are snowballing, right? That's all due to the viewer. The yeah. viewers who are active, you, you know, when we say make phone calls, mm. send emails, etc., it works. It really does work. Mm. So this is this is this is really happening. And now I'm thinking. I've got to think about where I'm travelling to next. Yeah. Reluctantly, um, I like being there. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I like being there. I would wish wish I could teleport to these places. Yeah. But um, 
it's all worth it, and I'll keep you, you know, posted on how it develops. And a special thanks to all those WA supporters that helped in this yes, past yes. week and came along to the meeting and went along to the hearings. That was great. We had a great meeting with uh, in that, <clears throat> the Atfield Tavern um, on Sunday. That was yeah. uh, that was exceptional. Good hello, to meet, good yeah, to, meet hello you all. to everybody. <laughs> Four years since the Citizens Party's had an event in um, Perth. Hope to be back again much, much sooner. Of course. Yes, of course. Um, so thanks very much. Stay tuned and see you next week. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.